Amen. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. We're going to be in Psalm 139. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Psalm 139. If not, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. All right, here's what you just sang. You sang, there'll be another in the fire standing next to me, probably a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown in the fire. Josh, is that right? Yep. All right, good. So Jesus or the, the angel of the Lord or the one like a son of the gods that's in the presence of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how comforting is that? You're singing it. I hope you just felt it. The idea that he's with you no matter what. Now, what Psalm 139 does is says, yes, that's very comforting, but also realize what you just said. He's with us. No matter what, you also saying, I know I will never be alone. You may have said that on your wedding day. You said you married this lady or you married this man and you said, oh, I will never be alone again. And then there's like a pause and you say, I'm never going to be alone again. You have a kid and you're like, oh, I'm going to be able to love this kid every single day. And then you realize, I'm going to have to love this kid every single day? I know I will never be alone. I will never be alone? Prisoners get to be alone sometimes. I'm never, ever going to never, ever be alone? Think about it for a second. There is something that you need to understand when it comes to God's presence in that he is not like a waiter. A waiter comes and he brings stuff to you and his presence is a blessing and his presence is also a blessing when it goes away. The chatty waiter is a terrible, terrible thing where you have to say, thank you. And passive aggressively, what you're saying is, get out of here. The burger's getting cold. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Thank you. Here's what I think is a little bit intrusive about love. It involves these intrusions. It involves presence. And we have to be really careful and think with this psalmist in Psalm 139 about how we view God's presence in our life. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Amen. I want that. I want that presence. But now understand that his presence is always with you. For the Christian, I think this is something that we need to dig into in a heavy way. If we can understand some of the implications of his presence being always with us and our emotional reaction to that fact... We're going to dig into some sanctification. And I honestly believe that we'll get to some of the heart of what will begin revival. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand 
upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Now, let's answer this question because the psalmist is beginning thinking about this as a positive thing, that everything he does, God's aware of and watching and, and, and kind of involved in, in the sense of his presence is there, participating in whatever it is you're doing. And he said, you're going to hem me in before and behind. That knowledge is too wonderful for me. And I want to start there. Let's start with why it is comforting to know that God is really, truly with you before we get to maybe our negative reaction to that fact, and then we'll, we'll deal with that negative reaction. But first, understand that God's presence being with you always is or should be comforting. It's the reason we just sang a song about it. It's the idea that you can be by God in His presence and not just under His wrath but in his presence in a loving way. So I wore this T-shirt today. We are kind of a casual church, but in general, I try not to wear a T-shirt while I'm preaching. Today, though, I went for it because of the slogan that's on it. We put this slogan on there, and I don't know that anybody really knows what it means, so let's talk about it. It says, fully known, fully loved. Those are two astonishing facts about how God relates to us. And if you put them together, you get a miracle. Because it's not that incredible that a God who knows everything knows everything about you. What is incredible is if a God who knows everything does know everything about you and yet still loves you. Now you're dealing with something incredible. See, the government probably still already knows everything about you, but does it love you? My children know a ton about me. They don't know everything. Do they yet still love me? Go a little closer. My spouse knows just about everything about me. Her love, then, is that much more incredible. What we're saying is that God knows you all the way. He actually knows you comprehensively. The intimacy that I have with my wife is very intense, but she doesn't actually know my thoughts. She's not actually with me all the time. What we're saying about God is that there is an intimacy there because there is a comprehensiveness to his knowledge about you that he really does know everything. The space that you have between him and you is non-existent. He's everywhere inside even your own head. And yet, really, really knowing you, he doesn't run. Really, really knowing you, he doesn't gag. Really knowing you, he still loves you. And we'll talk in a minute a little bit more about what that means, but he fully knows you, and knowing you fully, he fully loves you. Yeah, we can say with the psalmist that that knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. And yet, if you have even an ounce of self-awareness, when I tell you that God really does know everything about you, there should be a moment where you say, uh-oh, 
Because him knowing you and knowing the hairs on your head is sentimental. Him knowing you and seeing what you just thought about just now, much less what you thought about yesterday or yesterday afternoon, last night, then there's a little bit of an uh uh-oh. In some ways, life only works with ignorance. Here's what I mean by that. I went to go pick up lunch for my wife and I at a lovely little restaurant that we are hoping to support and keep in business, their local place. We love it. Huge portions. We can buy one thing and split it. I went to go pick up this curry. And as I pull in to pick it up, the vehicle next to me is the very large professional uh, pest control company. At the restaurant where I'm about to get lunch. Do you understand the connection? So now I've got a decision to make. Do I want to go pick up the food at the place which is cleaner than it was, I guess, (laughs) but obviously has a pest problem or not? Well, I'm sure you can guess. I was totally fine with it. I went and picked up the food. (laughs) Then, though, the deeper question, do I tell Rachel (laughs) that there's a pest control vehicle outside the restaurant where our lunch was just made? Uh, ignorance is bliss. There's, there's a certain amount of joy that she can have by not knowing that there may be some extra protein in what she's eating. Is it possible for God to know us and love us even knowing about what's really going on? Most of our relationships operate on that, that qualifier of ignorance is bliss. Yeah, you like me because I'm going to show you about 8% of me. But do you really like me if you really know me? And at the prospect of being truly known, many of us are going to respond like the psalmist. After he says, this is too wonderful for me, he, then he says, also, what are my options? Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. But if I go to hell, if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely I can hide, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For the darkness is as light with you. He's starting to try and and hide or at least confess that he'd like to. To be on display before this God in some ways is wonderful. Why would God give us that much of his thought? That he would consider us? That he would think about us? But to be put on display like that and to realize that that holy judge, those perceiving, all perceiving eyes are looking at you It's terrifying. We're not used to living that way. We automatically assume that there are layers upon layers upon layers of privacy in our world. We assume and then we seek out that privacy in parts of the internet, in academia. That's part of the the liberating experience of going to college for a lot of people. And they go through that really wild and totally unexpected experience of becoming agnostic. Okay, Very impressive. You went to college and became an agnostic. How trendy. 
But that's the idea. I can finally hide from my parents. I can finally hide from uh, the people who have been over me all my life. And now I can express some, some new thing, some new thought. Now that I'm hidden, you go to the bar, you go to the club, you go somewhere where we always expect to be private, our own minds. So you have those comedies about somebody who, who can't lie, and how funny is it when they really say what they're thinking, when they really say but there's no covering that can fake God out. He's actually there and he's actually watching. Love can only really work that way, though. Let's talk about masks. Not just this. This is just a little piece of cloth that we wear for a little while. Romans 13. We're going to wear them for a little while. But let's talk about masks that everybody wears all the time. Because here's the byproduct of only showing people a certain aspect of who you are and maintaining a private understanding of who you are. The byproduct of that is that you're now presenting people with something that's artificial. A mask that you've built for yourself to display to the world a certain version of you. To project to the world certain qualities that you think are a really great uh, version of yourself. And every time something bad happens that you did and you're ashamed of it and you hide it, that's one more layer of that mask. That's one more area that that mask has to hide and cover up. And what ends up happening with that is that when people show you love, it feels good for a second, but you kind of realize... And we'll realize more and more over time that what they love is really the mask. They don't even really know you. How could they? And so it does feel good, and, and you are motivated to maintain that mask. When you, you get some kind of affirmation from these people, we're built to seek it socially or in love relationships. You're always seeking it. And when you get it, it feels good for a second, but it never really lands because you know that they love the mask, but you always wonder, would they really love me? And cracks begin to form. It's like drinking Coke when you're thirsty. It, it has the appearance of quenching, but it doesn't really work. And so you just keep drinking and drinking and drinking, and the thirst grows rather than goes down. And you, your soul, begins to tear because you have these opposing forces that are ripping you apart. Your need for love and approval and your total masking of who you really are. So you keep seeking that love and approval, but you're going to always have to hide who you really are. And that, that pulls and pulls and pulls you apart. This isn't why everybody does it, but for a lot of people they then have to try and mask that pain. So they go to things that make them not feel anymore. Well, there's all kinds of stuff that can fit into that category. There's the obvious stuff like porn or alcohol or drugs, but there's the less obvious stuff that's also part of that. You can get really good at your job. Why? Because that level of achievement distracts you from that pain and it also maybe seems like it's going to fix that pain because that achievement will then give you approval, real solid approval. And you watch as it still doesn't work. Relationships, humor, <laughs> the cracks continue to form. What the psalmist is saying, though, is not before God. 
Verse 13, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. He's saying, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm not able to hide. I'm not able to pretend because you do know me. Because you have loved me. And how, how is it possible for this God to look on you, even you, and feel that kind of love? Well, he's made a way. He says he's got work for us to do. He's got a purpose for our lives. He's not just watching, but he's also ready. He's not just there with a stick to club you. He's there with a sponge to clean you. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For grace you have been saved through faith. This in your own doing is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his, same word from the psalm, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that they should walk in them. Here's what it's saying. God does see you. He does see all of you. He still loves you, and he has a solution for you. He wants to clean you up. And it's not that he's going to love you once you're clean, if you're clean. He loves you right now, and he loves you so thoroughly that he's willing to clean you. And how do you go about this? How do you go about paying for this? No, 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 no. You just receive it. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. When we say fully known, he knew you well enough to know what you needed if you're going to be made clean. The cross shows it perfectly. He knew what you needed if you're going to be made clean, and you are loved so thoroughly that he was willing to do it. If you're going to be made clean, a sacrifice has to be made on your behalf. That sacrifice has to be perfect, it has to be pure, and it has to be enough like you to represent you. Can't be a goat, really. The goat's just a picture and a placeholder. It's got to be like you. How does God do that? And Jesus, he becomes a man, he lives perfectly, and then he dies for you, receiving from God that total separation that our sin deserves, receiving from God the punishment from the Holy One that our sin deserves, receiving from God the same as he pledged to Adam and Eve from the beginning if they sinned. He receives from God death. Yet he loves you enough to do it. And then he invites you. He invites you into his work, into his world, into his adventure. He's opened up for you now that you're cleaning. Uh, He's he's declared you clean, but now that he's working on you and shaping you up, he's also going to bring you along with him in his grand work of taking that redemption all over the world. I love the idea, I love the thought of it, the adventure stories that all begin with that moment where the one calls to the hero and says, let's go. That's what he's doing right now. He's ready to ride. It says, these works are laid out for you to do. He's ready for you to ride. You can be happy in his presence as you work with him to bring about the things that he sees. 
And it says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I was going to count them, they're more than the sand. I'm awake, but I'm still with you. It would seem like a dream to ride with God. And yet, as you wake, he's still there. His plans for you, his thoughts about the world are like sand. You're never going to run out of them. His goals, his adventures, his new vistas that he wants to show you, they're just inexhaustible. And he wants you to go marching with his hosts. That's where the psalm takes kind of a weird turn for us because it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I count them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. That's hard to read. We're not a desert tribe who's looking out for the Sabians that are going to come and raid our flocks. We're not waiting on the Philistines to amass armies on our borders and come against us. We see Jesus and we think about how he is taking God's name, the, the glory of God's name, and he's bringing it out to the world. We do, though, have enemies. There is in the world and in our own heart things that have to die. It's not on us to bring the sword anymore other than the sword of the Spirit. But we are called to see things the way that God sees them, to see the, the beauty and the sin. Sin that can be forgiven, people that can be redeemed, like David the murderer and adulterer, or Paul the Christian hunter and killer. But it does have to happen. You are called to be a part of that and to have God's same hate for evil, even God's same love for those who perpetuate that evil. Then we can say with the psalmist, understanding that that's not just outside but inside, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any way, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, when I say revival, what I'm hoping for is the, the beginning of a movement of understanding that love and that grace that God has and the pouring out of God's presence and acceptance of God's presence all over our community. But of course, if it's going to happen in the community, it's got to start with the church. And if it's going to happen in the church, it's got to start with the families in the church. And if it's going to happen in the families of the church, it's got to start with the individuals in the families. You can't just take Psalm 139 and say to yourself, oh, those things are true. Today, you have to reckon with the fact that the holy God, without shades, sees you. And the sin that you think is hidden is not. What I'm hoping for is revival. And revival begins with repentance. It's time to stop playing games and pretending like some of us are really godly people. We're not. We're very, very loved people. Will you look for, find, because it's definitely there, and then confess your sin to God? Can you pray with him and say, search me, know me, rather than trying to hide from him and only have him have access to some certain points in your life when you've got a really good mask on, but just really say, search me fully, know me, 
and lead me into the way everlasting. Can you say that? Can I tell you that revival may be waiting on you to say that? I don't know how not to make that argument from Scripture. Let us begin with that confession and that invitation for God to be in us, to know us, to see us. And then that commitment to get out and to do. Let's pray it right now. Close your eyes and bow your head. If this is something that you're ready to do authentically, not just because I'm saying it to you and I'm telling you to bow your head, but if it's something you're ready to do authentically, it leads perfectly into the Lord's Supper. It's what we're supposed to be doing all the time. I just need you to think right now and pray and say to God, ask him to show you your sin. You've tried so hard to to callous that amount of guilt or callous that prick in your conscience. It just keeps poking and poking and biting and turning. Feel it right now. Ask God to make you feel it. And then bring it to the cross. Confess it. But confess it with the total knowledge that God loves you enough to clean even that. And then let it go. Commit instead to fill your life with pursuit of what God finds lovely. And right now, as you're doing this, as you're praying this and thinking this, I want you to think about somebody that you can talk to about this. If it's me, fantastic. I'd love to speak with you, but I understand that I'm not close-est to most of you. Think about someone that you can speak to Make it more real to yourself. God's more real than whoever it is you're talking to, but make it more real to yourself as you tell a living, breathing person and watch. Pick somebody with some gospel maturity and watch as when you take off the mask, they still love you. Feel the healing of that embrace. Lord, I pray right now that we would do that and do that authentically and that text messages would lead to phone calls and coffees all over the uh, city throughout this week as your church gathers to confess, repent, and receive that forgiveness and that uncritical acceptance so that we can walk away from the filth and start to embrace the mission that you've called us to, that we can ride with your host to bring about the change in the world that you want to see. Please do this miracle, God, for your glory and our good. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.